from Zamo Digital, welcome to the SaaS Marketing Superstars Podcast with your host, Aaron Sikowski. This is the show where we uncover proven growth strategies from CMOs and marketing leaders behind some of the fastest growing SaaS companies. Hey, superstars. Thanks for joining us today. I'm your host, Aaron Zikowski, and today I'm chatting with Andrew Harder. Andrew is a senior paid media manager at Cisco, where he runs ads for four of Cisco's brands. Andrew's strategies for combining content and paid ads have helped the company to increase pipeline by 60%. Hey, Andrew, how's it going today? Hey, Aaron. It's going well. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, super excited to uh, have you on the show. I've uh, We've known each other for a little while on LinkedIn now, and I've listened to some other podcasts that you've been on where you've just shared some incredible stories and felt like it would be really valuable for, for our audience as well. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, so so why don't you start out, just tell us, I guess, a little bit about your role over at Cisco. Yeah, so um, I joined, I came to Cisco via acquisition. So I had joined um, Socio a little over two years ago, which got acquired, is now WebEx Events. Um, so I was hired to manage uh, just all paid media for WebEx events. And then as it's evolved, I've gotten into the kind of the larger WebEx org now. And there's a few other um, SaaS brands that I I help manage paid search and, and paid social. So um, yeah, it's it's expanded a lot. And there's been a lot of up and downs, um, especially the last year with just um, the, the more macro environment. So yeah. Okay, fantastic. Um... So I, I guess what I, I'd, I'd love to talk about more is, is your strategy for combining content together with, with, with paid social ads and how you've been able to drive so much pipeline like that. You know, I think there's always a debate, you know, that I see online, you know, demand generation versus direct response or lead generation. Um, but it sounds like you've been able to combine the two of those in, in, in a pretty smart and efficient way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I can, I can talk through that. So um, I will say before getting into the, the content part of it, I mean, audiences are obviously everything. So I won't go too deep into that, but I would say um, you you could, and this is obvious, but it's important to say you could have the best content, um, you could have the best ads, but if you're not targeting the right audience or you're not on the right platforms, like you're not going to see anything. That That's obvious to anyone who's doing paid media. Um, but I would say even going just beyond, so for us and for a lot of probably um, paid marketers that might be listening to this, LinkedIn is certainly like the best channel for us. And we had seen a lot of success, like going back even like a year and a half ago, we had pretty good targeting. But when we, um, one practical thing that really helped us was actually getting really deep into our CRM, exporting out all of the companies and and titles of those contacts associated with opportunities and and close one, close lost Mm -hmm. deals. And it kind of highlighted some of the titles and some of the industries we weren't really targeting. So when we did that and then segmented, uh, our campaigns into the dip. We had like four different main ICPs that we segmented into that really helped us. And this gets more into the content part of it that you asked about. Um, that really helped us understand what content was resonating because it was very different because we like some of our ICPs were um, more like corporate fortune 500 type, but then also like higher ed and um, like universities and nonprofits, which are, are so different. Um, and especially in the event space, like the type of events that they're doing very different. So that really helped us. And then to um, get more into the content side of things, I loved how you talked, uh, how you just opened it up with, okay, yeah, demand gen has been a super hot topic for a while. Um, there's been a lot of more like kind of crapping on lead gen, things like that. I would say like most companies still like need a mix of that. And especially if you're at a larger company, like I am, like you certainly still need the lead gen component just to help with the attribution side of things. 
So for us, what we did, um, we followed a pretty, I think, pretty um, normal framework just in terms of the content buckets that we were doing. So we had, you know, like the top of the top funnel, like the unaware, like had nothing to do with our product or even solutions, but just more so. I mean, some people call it thought leadership, but it was more so just bite sized messaging on how to do your job better. Um, it kind of started to get into the pain points, but we would go kind of a step deeper into the more problem aware and solution aware. And then we get into the more product aware and more, more bottom of funnel stuff. So if you, however, whatever framework are you, you use, if you have that and then bucket your content into those different buckets, that really helps one, just have a strategy of like what content do you have, but also that helps identify gaps. Like we saw gaps in different parts of it. Um, and that helped us work with our events team, our content team um, to really fill in those gaps because how we really approach it is we're trying to communicate really dozens and dozens of bite-sized messages for the entire buyer committee, which is you know not just the CMO that's signing off on the event platform. It goes from special, specialist managers on up to director, whatever, all those different titles. And so it's important to have um, that going back to the audience targeting, you have a robust strategy for that, but then you can see what content is resonating with those different segments. So that was a lot of information. I'll stop there and you can ask yeah, questions. Or I, I got a question already. Um, so, I, so I guess when you talk about the, those different uh, job titles and seniority, so are, are you segmenting those out, I guess, in your, your retargeting layers, as opposed to that doesn't sound like it's your cold layers. Um, where's the, where's that segmentation working for you? It is primary. So it, it's evolved over time. Um, I would say most recently, like our, our cold, like prospecting layers, it's still like, it is the job titling. I will say another, um, and I'm curious if this has worked for you as well, but when we started to combine job titles, um, with, um, LinkedIn groups, and this depends too, if your target audience is active on LinkedIn active and there's quality groups that are in their BM, but when we combine those things, some people use skills and other things, but for us, it was the LinkedIn groups like that really helped. So that was like tactically one thing um, where, where we saw a big lift in performance for us. Uh, it did shrink the audiences, of course. And that that's always kind of the question too. Like, I mean, I know you see this, like, you know, LinkedIn saying you need to have at least 50K audience, things like that. We're targeting almost all of our audiences are smaller than that, especially now when we take a more ABM approach. Um, even if you're targeting, you know, 500 or a thousand accounts, if you're pretty tight on your job title targeting, it's mm -hmm. chances are it's gonna be pretty small. Right, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so many ways to slice and dice. I mean, you're talking about, uh, you know, groups, you know, I, I find, I don't think a lot of people are very active in groups anymore. Um, at least from the beat users that I know, I don't know anyone who's hanging out in groups or being really active in those things. So right. it almost feels like it's a remnant of, of maybe where people were in their careers a couple of years ago when right. groups were more active. And that, that's always kind of been my feeling, although we certainly do use them as a targeting function. But I think a lot of people, certainly myself, you know, were in groups, but they don't, but they're groups we joined so long ago that they might not be relevant to kind of where we're at in our careers right now. Um, totally. But if you find them working, then then fantastic. I think we've been a little bit more, you know, job titles, obviously work great, a little bit more expensive. But if you start doing, you know, job function with seniority, I think you get, a, yep. and obviously combine that with company sizes and things like that. Then you start having slightly broader audiences and, and bigger reach. And this, I think functionally, essentially should be getting you pretty close to the same, the same thing as a job title. Yes. And that's actually where we've had to kind of, evolve as well because we are with budgets being smaller and the strategy being a bit tighter we're pretty much solely just doing abm focused stuff on linkedin now and so we mm -hmm. have a set target account list 
and we do do the titles. Um, but to your point, um, it is it, those CPMs get real expensive real fast. And so we, we did exactly that. We kind of shifted to the more function, but then layering on, um, the LinkedIn groups are, are also doing the seniority. Um, mm-hmm. and the performance wasn't as good, but it was kind of necessary because, um, it just got pretty expensive. And when you're targeting, you know, audiences less than like 10,000, it just, it's, it's difficult to, to get anywhere. Especially yeah. when, like for us, we have a lot of ads that we're running. Um, and so we're, we're trying to be cognizant of like how much are we bombarding certain people. Yeah, for um, sure. That's always a big question. You, when you had small, long, small audiences like that, you always have to make sure you're fresh and creative quite frequently. Um, right. you, you mentioned you guys are putting an emphasis on ABM these days, account-based marketing. Um, maybe teach the audience a little bit more about how that strategy works for people that aren't familiar with it on LinkedIn. Yeah, so I mean, just the kind of surface level or just the gist of it is you have like literal accounts that you are targeting so this is not just like industry targeting it's you sale you work with sales most of the time i would hope um or whatever teams you get a list of accounts that you're going after um i i would definitely not say we're doing like the best account-based marketing because a lot of it's not personalized we just don't have the, the team or the budget uh anymore to be able to handle that um, there are lots of other really good marketers out there that are are very good at it. Um, Hillary uh, from Snowflake comes to mind. Um, she's like, I think I look to her as like the ABM um, queen. Um, but for us, like we have that list. And so really because we had um, really shifted to this mix of demand gen and the um, gen form, like kind of strategy, we were able to take that list and then we layered on a lot of the different types of targeting we've already discussed. Um, But the difference with ABM now, um, we're really looking at like, what's our account penetration. Um, So you can look at just, and we do use metadata for, for LinkedIn. So it helps, but you can just do this natively as well. You can see what companies are um, interacting the most with your ads. And then for us, like we're really looking at on a kind of quarterly basis, like what opportunities are being open or potentially what opportunities that were already open are now uh, being accelerated. So it was, most of it was a net new focus, but there was also a, a pipeline acceleration component to it. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that's how we were really measuring. Like we, we didn't really care as much about like net new leads from that. Um, we did do a certain point for the new accounts, but we were really looking at how much are we penetrating um, even from the audience sizes too? like what percentage of this um, 10,000 person audience are we, are we hitting uh, what ads are resonating with them? So um, I feel like I didn't really talk that much about ABM, but it's honestly like, it's pretty simple. So, so right. So, so just to clarify for people who might not be as familiar. So when you talk about targeting the accounts, you're basically going to your CRM, you know, whether it's companies you already are, are in communication with and working with, or the, the accounts you want to be working with, you create a CSV file of all the domains of those websites, upload that as a matched audience, and then that becomes your, your base audience that you want to target. And then within that, LinkedIn allows you to segment that down to the specific job titles and functions, et cetera, that you want to be targeting within that company to hit the right people. Right, exactly. Right. Thank you for doing a much better job of answering <laughs> the que- question that you asked because I just kind of glossed over that. Yeah, it, and it, I actually will say one thing that we learned um, because we did, it was a huge pain in the butt. We had to do a lot of manual adding 
um, the domain for the company. We had a lot of the company names, but not mm-hmm. all the domains were filled in. Okay. Um, so we had to go through that process. It's a huge pain, but honestly, it did help me as a marketer to understand like, cause there was about 500, not all of those were manual, but going through all those, loading those all in mm-hmm. it really, it's kind of like with search, like going through search term report really teaches you about an account. Same thing with like who you're targeting. Um, but one thing we found was when we just uploaded the list, um, from like the domains, it didn't, the match rate was lower than what we had when we actually went to, uh, and shout out Crystal for teaching me this, who works with me. Um, we went to LinkedIn and went to like the company page and the company name sometimes is different on their company page than like what their official company name is maybe on their website. Uh And so when we, when we did this, we saw like a higher match rate. I can't explain to you like all the backend stuff on LinkedIn. I did confirm this though with, um, Someone who you actually might be familiar with, Erin, she posts a lot about just, uh, she works for LinkedIn, posts about different things related to advertising. And I mentioned mm-hmm. this to her and she said, oh yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but she didn't clarify on like why, why that works. So I don't know, maybe it was like a one-off weird thing for us, but that's something that we continue to do as we add our accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we do that. So yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that the, the basics of how to, most companies are going to create those lists is, is, is pretty straightforward. I, I think where, where you're adding the uh, the extra knowledge over here is how you guys are, are segmenting that and, and measuring it through pipeline and the touch points and the right mm-hmm. content and all that. I think that that's where you guys are getting much more sophisticated than most. Um, I think a lot, a lot of companies, you know, they do their, their ABM, they create their list, they target their people. This is top of the funnel. We're going to retarget people. Maybe you segment out the ABM into its own retargeting. Maybe you don't, but um, sounds like you guys are doing a lot more sophisticated stuff than that. Right. And one thing I didn't really touch on with content because I didn't go too deep, too deep into the different ad formats. And mm-hmm. I, one thing that you're really good at, like with video, like you're, I love the stuff you put out on LinkedIn, what you're doing. Video is, a, is the primary content that we're pumping out. Mm-hmm. Um, video ads, yeah, it's more expensive and it's harder to measure, but honestly, it creates a better remarketing strategy because the, the crux of our remarketing strategy with ABM and, and otherwise too is we, for us, we create just a, it's very straightforward, but you can create a remarketing audience, 50% of uh, people that viewed 50% of, you know, all, all, the, all the video ads you're running. And then that's how we kind of, we're not trying to do like this linear journey, but when we're showing like a solution aware ad, we create that remarketing audience. And then we show those people a product aware ad that we created because it, for us, like if someone's viewing 50% of like a one to a one minute to like 90 second video, like that's pretty decent yeah. intent in terms of like, they're interested in what we're talking about. Um, and that really does help because we do of course also remarket just like for our lead gen formats. Like that's, that's primary where we're getting our, our leads from. Um, but I think doing all that video and all that education up front, it just, it works. Like I can't prove to you all the ROI of it, but it, it really does make a huge difference difference versus just a bunch of image ads. And I think that's probably why you talk a lot about video too, because you can communicate so much more of a message in a 30 second video ad than you can in just even the best image ad that you could create. So yeah, yeah, that's my like soapbox on video. Listen, I I agree with you hundred percent. And I might add that it's not about that you can communicate more information in a video, but you can, you can communicate so much more emotion in a video because just the fact that you can that a prospect might connect with team members of, of the company 
um, is so powerful because, you know, we, we think B2B is so dry and intellectual and it's just, you know, numbers and, and, and all that, but there, there's really a very uh, strong emotional component into branding and brand affinity and all those types of things that go into things into decision making. Yeah. That's so good. I can't wait to see you like clip that and post that and write that because that's such a good hook because that emotion aspect that you're calling out and just mm -hmm. the human aspect of it. That that's why a video is so much better because you can do yeah. that. Like you can't, yeah, you can add some emojis and stuff to some ad copy in your images, but it's not the same as a, a person. I think too, that's also gets into something else and we don't need to go there right now, but the the push of um like creator-led content. Uh, mm -hmm. compared to like the company, because most people don't care about like what the company is saying, but they, especially marketers, like, yeah. you know, this, I know this, like you, you really want to buy and work with uh, marketers that you respect and that are doing good things. And so I think that's why video can be really powerful. Yeah. And I guess that leads into what's hopefully coming soon within a couple of days of when we're recording this, uh, LinkedIn's new thought leadership ads, which should be rolling out, you know, any day now for, for most of us. Uh, at least hopefully, yeah. although they won't have video from what I understand at the beginning, but I'm sure they'll get there pretty soon. Yeah, um, we did. We did beta test that too. I don't have any amazing stats for you or uh -huh. um, maybe I shouldn't even mention that because now there's it's kind of like, OK, well, whatever. But we did test it. And um, I mean, we, we certainly saw better performance compared to if we just posted it from our company page. Uh, but I've seen other people out there. I know metadata did a good test on right. um, on comparing that. So that'll be interesting. I do think a lot of people are concern though that linkedin might be trying to monetize more and then it just becomes more difficult to grow like you you know organic, organic reach might go down as a result of this yeah. yeah yeah that's that's a legit concern i hadn't thought about that but that makes a lot of sense um yeah. wanted to ask you you've mentioned a couple of times using you know I, I think you're talking about top of the funnel over here using video together you've mentioned lead gen forms a couple of times right i know there's always a little hesitation you know we have it with a lot of the clients we work with Legion forms, you know, it's the cheapest way to, get, to capture somebody's, you know, information, but sometimes the intent tends to be quite low versus sending somebody to a landing page. Um, if they complete, you know, your form and ask for a demo off of a landing page, they tend to have a lot more information. The intent's much higher, but conversion rates drop, cost per acquisition of a lead goes up quite a bit. How do you, how do you think about that? And, and what's been working for you there? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think, I think about it similar to how, what you just explained, like, you do. I don't run lead gen. Our goal is not, okay, we're going to get a whole bunch of deals. Now sales is going to be so happy because we're driving all of these like content downloads via lead gen form. No, yeah. um, for us, it, it's, it, it's a helpful kind of measurement tool. And again, it, for us, it really does go back to when you work for a large company or if you work for a marketing org where you have to prove that attribution, that's just like a necessity, unless you have a tool like hockey stack or dream Bait or something out there that can kind of mm -hmm. help with that. Um, but it's just a necessity for us. But I think um, it's okay to do it. And I think we, and especially if you see low CPLs, like, I mean, $50, like we, we've been able to get that for a very niche audience. Um, but we don't hand that to sales and say, Hey, like they're ready to, to, you know, buy, you know, $20,000 worth of software. No, they're not. They just want to use this event planning checklist for their event that's coming up. And that's how it's kind of a different way of building that trust and credibility. Like that's why we talked about video already, but I think if you're giving um, that type of information and you can make the argument, just ungate that. Yeah, you can. And then we, we have tested um, document ads, ungating that, and that works well um, for sure. But when you have a really, really, really good asset, most people don't have a problem, especially when 
um, their the form is just populated with their information. Like they really, it's not that big of a deal. So I think it depends on the type of content that you're gating as well. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm not tr- I I try to steer away from the gated versus ungated um, right. kind of argument because I think it just depends on your organization. It depends on your goals. You know, so for some marketers that they don't need to really prove that, like sure, just ungate that. I would do the same thing. But if you do have internal things that are causing you to gate. Um, but I would say like, make sure the assets are worth it. You know, yeah, if it's sure. just like a, a one pager of like your features or something, like you shouldn't be gating that, um, same, same goes with like, you know, product tours and things like that. That's something that we've actually done with video of actually doing, uh, just a video ad of like a product tour. So that's literally ungated. I mean, we're paying to, for that ad, but like, they don't have to fill out their <laughs> a form to watch the ad to see how our product works. Right. right. Um, but yeah, I, for, I forget if you asked something else, but yeah, also- I mean, well, I mean, it's interesting. You, you answered the question a little bit differently than, than how I intended it, but that, that was still great. Um, I was thinking about the, you know, the question of, of you know, legion forms versus landing pages. Right. Right. More, right. More, but, but I was, I guess I wasn't thinking about it so much in the, in the context of con- of content gating, but more in terms of, you know, let's say a demo request. You know, yes. s- sending people to to actually talk to your sales team through a lead gen form with that call to action, with that in, intent. Uh, again, there's a question: what what level of intent is that? Right versus when right. you send them to a landing page to request a demo. Um, I mean, right. it sounds like you're not really asking people to talk to your sales team at the top of the funnel. Um, you're waiting till retargeting to do that. Um, right. So, because the top of the funnel, it's mostly a focus on on content. You know, even if yep. you know someone watch the video. They, they're interested. They want to, do you even give them a next step if they watch the video with some interesting content from you guys? We don't, I mean, like for our landing pages on those, on those types of video ads, like sometimes you do have more, I don't think we're sending any to just direct like the demo page, but uh-huh. like a, a specific solution page or a page that has more information on what that video was talking about certainly. Uh-huh. But yeah, we don't run any, I did uh, like a year and a half ago, I thought I was going to be marketer of the year and combine G2 intent data with like, um, G2 ads that were demo requests. Mm-hmm. We did get some demo requests. I think out of all of them, I don't think we had a single person show up or like book a meeting. Like, so nothing worked. Um, yeah. And I'm not saying like, I know people out there do see success with intent data. Uh, I have not seen it um, at all. And I've invested quite a bit of money into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but to answer your question though, and to get back to what you were saying, yeah, we don't, we're not requesting, we're not trying to get um, that demo uh, motion from our, our LinkedIn ads. It's more so, and this gets into, I think if we talk about search as well, like we're, we, we always see either a increase in our just overall site traffic and then our PPC MQLs as well, which are demo or pricing requests. When we're running social, when mm-hmm. we have pauses or dips in our budget, it always goes down. Like this has happened three or four times. The organic year. search for, for branded keywords, essentially. Organic, every time. direct, yeah, PPC, like it all goes down. Like we've seen yes. this enough times. So it's not just like a one-off instance. Um, and when we increase that, we always, oh, most of the time see an increase. Um, and so we're not at all, you know, as a, a paid marketer, I'm not saying like what we're doing on LinkedIn is like the thing. Like there's lots of things as well. Like if you're doing events out in the field, um, if you have, you know, wh- whatever it is, like there's other things that impact that. Um, but we certainly see a dip. I was tracking this actually for a few months, um, like kind of for our monthly reviews on what we were doing. And it was crazy to see the difference. I was doing that to try to get more budget and it worked. I'd love to see that data actually, if you're able to. 
yeah, I can I can share that. that makes for good LinkedIn posts to to show that over track yeah. months. There we go. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's certainly so. But to your point, like that's different, and that's why I was saying earlier, it depends on mm-hmm. the marketing team that you work for, what your goals are. Um, because I I for us, like we're a lot. Of, it's more the demand creation, the education, all of that is where mm-hmm. we use LinkedIn. Um, we are harvesting and really trying to capture everything with paid search, and that's why I'm like very. Uh, ruthless with cutting wasted spend on paid search because I'm not looking to get like awareness and things like that on paid search. Like I'm, I'm not wanting to pay for that. I want to pay for meetings for our sales team with paid search. So that's really interesting what you just said. And I I want to dwell on that for a second. So it sounds like when you're running paid social, primarily that's LinkedIn, it sounds like you're not having any calls to action to book a demo to talk to the sales team. It's all just about education. It's all just about giving people content. If you're directing them back to your website, it's always just to get more information, to read a blog post, to download content, to watch a video, et cetera, without yep. any pushing people to a sales team. If they want to find, they'll figure out how to click around the website and, and figure out how to get in touch. And that's driving, so that's, that's fully demand generation right there. Right. And then you're, and you've seen the correlation that as you do that, there's more, um, high intent search going for your brand and your product names on Google and your goal is just to catch everybody there. Is that, is that yep. correct? Yep. Cause, cause that, that, I mean, to me, that sounds like a unique way than how most people are doing. And most people want to be able to attribute and track, you know, I ran these LinkedIn ads, at least some of them at the bottom of the funnel retargeting where we're trying to capture the the demand um, to push people through to, to a sales call. Um, and then they think of, of, Google or, or paid search as something acting really differently, right? So that that's a that's a really to me that's a really interesting realization that you know each the demand generation happens on on paid social, demand capture happens on on search, and sounds like you're keeping those things pretty separate. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. No, you. I mean, you summarized that really well. I feel like you were taking a lot of the thoughts I've had over the last few months, and you summarized that very very well. Um, and I think that's why it's a huge benefit. Um, so Crystal and I. We've worked together on paid search and paid social. We have been for over a year now together. Um, it's pretty rare. There's a lot of other paid media teams at Cisco. I don't, there's maybe one or two that do both of that. Most people are pretty segmented uh-huh. in paid search or paid social. Certainly benefits if you're, if you, and I came up through agency where I did a lot of paid search and I did a lot of paid social. So I, I was mm-hmm. specialized at a time, but there are so many more insights you can get if you're able to do both, but to what you were just kind of summarizing too, then you don't get so caught up in, okay, what's the the ROI of this channel um, if you are looking at holistically? And that's why I think um, not just for paid media, but for marketing in general, like what is your holistic cost across everything that you're doing? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really where you looking at the more, um, you know, like business metrics, like your, your CAC, your customer acquisition costs, your payback period, those things like, you need to know those things as a paid marketer to then set your benchmarks. So, you know, you see a lot of it's common on LinkedIn to bash MQLs and all of that. I'm fine with MQLs. Um, I care more about SQLs and opportunities, but still, I still have like a, I want this cost per MQL because I know this is what I need in order to efficiently spend across paid social and paid uh-huh. search. But I'm not looking at paid social saying, okay, wow, we had a $2,000 cost per MQL that month. That's that's horrible, but I don't care about that because it really helped paid search and we hit our yeah. like our paid search goals. So I think if you're able to do both and, and and own both, it really does help. So again, not every marketing team is gonna have that benefit. Maybe your leadership team wants to see the ROI per channel, and that's difficult. 
Um, but I do think if you're able to have the, this is where you can use budget cuts to your advantage because you can start to show some of those things like the data I was telling you about. You can show, okay, we're seeing drops in our traffic. Like this does make an impact. So um, yeah, hopefully that makes sense. And it, no, I, I, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's, it's really insightful. It gives me something to think about. Um, so, so I guess the natural question there a little bit, and, and maybe your answer is it doesn't matter, but attribution, everyone loves to, to talk about marketing attribution right now. You know, what, what's, what's your cost per lead or opportunity coming from Google versus LinkedIn, but it sounds like you just think of it as, as one combined marketing budget, um, because, you know, paid social is driving the results into paid search and then you just corral it and capture it all over there. And then you just have to look at the whole thing together. Is that correct? Yeah. And it- yeah, and to maybe give a little more context to it, it's easier. It's been, I've been able to do that because we hit our goals. Like we hit our paid search goals. I was able to move a lot of our budget from lead gen, lead gen, lead gen on LinkedIn to a mm-hmm. ton of video, like demand gen. Uh-huh. Uh, I can't remember what the numbers were, um, but it was pretty significant difference when we moved from just pretty much straight lead gen to a true like demand gen, like video focused strategy. But we we still we were hitting and surpassing our goals on search. And that's also search is just a much more predictive channel for us. And I think for really anyone out there, you can really map um, the MQL to SQL rates like for for paid social. I mean, maybe you will get some hand raisers to book a demo, but that the volume is probably a lot less and the um, MQL to SQL rate or meaning whatever your metrics are, that's typically not as predictive. I could be wrong because I I'm limited to my own experience, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to think now how, so I was going to an- answer. Um, so holistically, I'm looking at it that way, but mm-hmm. to answer more about paid social where we get, we really care about, and we optimize for like for video, we're obviously looking at video metrics, engagement metrics. We are looking, we actually do look at click through rate metric, which might sound weird for video. Um, we care more about video and engagement, but click-through rate, sometimes, especially when we have less budget, we'll be looking at that because we're segmenting, going back to the audience discussion, we're segmenting by different job titles and functions and things like that. And we usually do see a pretty big, I mean, we have video ads that have over a 1% click-through rate, which a lot of times it's hard to get that for image ads. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're, we're looking at that and that's really how I'm defining success or is this working? Um, but I'm also not getting so fixated on like one ad or one campaign. Yeah. So again, that, that, that click through rate or cost per click is going to kind of just indicate the engagement with the message of the video. It sounds like. Right. Exactly. So we're, we're optimizing towards like what's we're, we're optimizing what ads are resonating the most. Like that's how we're not optimizing towards what's driving like leads or anything like from that campaign or that mm-hmm. ad. And that's why we're looking at a whole And there's even some ads that, you know, it doesn't have, like for our internal benchmarks, it might not have as good of a view rate or an engagement rate, but it's hitting on a really important topic or it's maybe focused more on like the more bottom of funnel or the more yeah. VP type level. And like, we're, we don't expect to see as much engagement with that. Um, like to give one specific example for our ABM campaigns, we're really trying to um, educate and communicate, hey, you can use us for like all your large internal enterprise events. So like all hands, those types of meetings, the creative like was good. It wasn't super inspiring, but it it really communicated a really, really important message um, that we had identified we needed to educate the audience on. And so we were okay with having some of those lower metrics because we knew we were hitting the right audience. 
with this important message. So that's just a little more specific on like how we're looking at paid social. Nice. Um, Transitioning, I guess, a little bit from transition, uh, paid social to paid search a little bit. Any, any insights, you know, into how to run a more effective paid search campaign for, for listeners? Yes. I mean, I kind of touched on already. Like you really need to know those, those more business numbers. Like what is your, what, what CAC can you, can you have? Like what, 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 what's your, and you, if you can't get that yourself, like you need to ask and and figure that out. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would say um, one of the important things I learned coming from agency to in-house was a lot of times at the agency and, um, and this was my limited experience, I didn't have access to CRM. And so I couldn't really see what was working. I just had the platform data, yeah. which especially, and like every year it goes by like platform data is <laughs> kind of less accurate. Um, so what we, we kind of did a combination um, for efficiency. Uh, we had a mix. This might sound weird. Maybe this is the first time you heard this. We have a mix of offline conversions and like Google Tag Manager conversions. Um, we have some campaigns that, there's enough volume for offline conversions that we use that because um, we use HubSpot ads and we we really make all of our decisions in HubSpot ads. Like I'm rarely pausing stuff in Google because I'm able to see like the full picture of of MQL all the way to opportunity close one uh-huh. like at the keyword level. Um, so I'm making decisions based on that. But the reason why we still use because uh, I do see common advice is you know go all in on offline conversions. If you can, like that is ideal. But when we did that with some of our campaigns, we just, Google just could not optimize well. We saw like a big spike in our CPA and it just did not work. And it was on some pretty crucial campaigns. So we had to switch it back. Um, so that's like more on like the conversion optimization um, side of things. Um, but the other thing, if you have, if you know, and you should know this, if you're able to calculate your CAC and payback period, but if you know your um, like average deal cycle, or like your your sales cycle, like if it's 60 days, 90 days, whatever, what um, I had gotten into the rhythm of doing is uh, kind of on a quarterly basis. Like for us, it was kind of like 60 days, roughly. Um, depends if like the sales team is filling everything in. Um, I would go back. So I wouldn't include the last 60 days, but prior to that, I would take like a three month, um, period and by campaign and by campaign bucket. And in some instances, instances go down to the keyword level. And mm-hmm. I would look at the ROI for those campaigns. So I would get very, and that's why I was saying earlier, I cut a lot of wasted spend quickly on, on search because I, I don't want to pay for something that I can't see is working. Right. Um, so I I'm looking at, at that to make decisions. Um, the other thing too, is I would look to see, it's not always a performance, like a, a PPC issue. Cause we would see maybe no revenue, but we saw maybe 20% of our opportunities came from like these few campaigns and just sales wasn't able to convert those. Like that, that might be more of like a sales, maybe those were competitor campaigns and, you know, pricing was an issue. Like there, there's so many other factors that I think a lot of times um, we, we forget to consider those. So that would be another thing. All right. Makes a lot of sense. Um, you mentioned a few minutes ago, your experience having previously worked in an agency and now working in-house. Can you talk maybe a little bit about the pros and cons of being a, a media manager in an agency versus being in a, uh, a larger organization like this working in-house? Yeah. So uh, there's certainly pros and cons, cons to both of them. So, um, I would say the main pros, I'll start with agency. 
and I would say for anyone out there, like if you're considering a career in paid or something, like I would start, I'm glad I started an agency because I worked on way more accounts, worked with way more clients, worked with a ton of other people and paid that like the, the pace of learning is 10, 20, 30 X more than in-house. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think that's, I really don't think that's just unique to my experience. I think that I've heard a lot of people um, agree with that. Um, so that that's a huge uh, pro just from like kind of a career standpoint, mm-hmm. but from the more like um, what works and like <laughs> proving ROI and stuff like that, I think the reason to hire an agency and why it's worth it is really the, like the industry knowledge. And I'm not talking about paid industry knowledge. I'm talking about like, like, like for you who like, you know, you specialize in SaaS, like you're going to have a lot of experience across maybe not the same um, specific industry, but if you're selling software, like there's going to be a lot of things that you can test in different accounts that you can then maybe test in other accounts. That was certainly something that I did agency side. Like I maybe was struck this one account was struggling and I, I can't think of an example right now. Um, but I, maybe like with keyword match types too, like when Google changes a lot with search, like it's really helpful to have a few different accounts to look at. Yeah. Um, so, and I would say too, like, and this is increasing every year, especially with AI, but you really like an agency should have some tools um, that are a, like, you're able to kind of just add on to your own tech stack. Um, you should be able you're not paying. Um, you shouldn't just be paying for like the man hours. You should be paying for some aspect, I think, of tech. So, because um, I would say, like, I'm starting to work more with with vendors in, in um, the larger WebEx um, team now, and it's it's interesting to me. Um, it's interesting to me, like some agencies that you know maybe don't do some of those things compared to other ones. So, um, and then I would say, like, in house, like some of the some of the some of the pros that I've found just for myself is getting a lot closer to the brand is certainly helpful. That was one of the reasons why I chose to get, go in-house is because I wanted the more holistic experience of working with one brand, getting very deep in product knowledge, understanding product. I didn't even know what product marketing was before I came in-house. Um, and that's why I've really gravitated towards paid social in the last year is just because I've been able to grow a lot more and add copywriting skills, things like that. Like you're able to go deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I already touched on reasons why for this, but I think some agencies, my agency's exp- experience, we didn't really get into CRMs. I know others do a lot, especially in SaaS. Um, but in-house, you typically are able to get a lot more data and you can make more informed decisions. Um, you don't want to fall into like the analysis of paralysis where you're just like overwhelmed with data, especially if you're at a larger company, like some of the dashboards can be overwhelming. Um, but I think when you can sit closer to that, um, you should be able to make more informed decisions. Um, but, and if you don't have it, like when I, when I started here, it was just, I was a one person team. So I would say a con is it's hard. You can't bounce ideas off of people. Um, so I, I mean, you can find a community. There's great Slack communities out there. LinkedIn is super helpful. And that's why I've become a lot more active um, in in Slack groups and LinkedIn over the last like year, year and a half is for that reason. Um, but I think it's important to really find people that you can bounce those ideas off of. And um, otherwise you, you get stuck and it's overwhelming. Like, how are you going to dig out of this performance issue if you don't have anyone to talk to? So um, yeah, I, I'm sure there's more. Um, but I'm, I'm not thinking of any other. Ones. No, I think those are a lot of great insights that that really do make a lot of sense to me. I think I think to me the ones that I think about having been in an agency life for a long time is you know, like you said, you know, in an agency you have so much you know 
breadth of experience across different clients that you get experience with and working with so many companies that do things in different ways. And you can learn from one that you could apply to another client and help them out versus then I think you said exactly what I would have assumed also working in-house is just like the, the depth you can have in terms of getting close to sales and really digging into the CRM and, and, and putting all of your energy towards growing one thing, as opposed to just, you know, having to be divided and diversifying right. your, your attention across multiple clients, which can sometimes be hard as well. Right. Right. And I think too, um, it's different depending on the size of the agency, really big agencies. I think one of the cons can be you, it, the turnover is just always high. Um, or even even if someone doesn't leave the agency, but if they get promoted, a lot of times you get to work on bigger accounts or, Mm -hmm. you know, so you might have a six month tenure and that's it. And that gets pretty exhausting. Like I know even talking to some of my old colleagues, like that's, that's why some clients have quit is because there was one client that I managed for like three years and we had a great relationship and they still stayed on maybe another year or two after, but they had like three or four other um, people working with them and just became too much. And, any momentum you get, it just stalls. And I think that's hard, but that's not as much of an issue for smaller agencies. Um, so, but I mean, you would know better than I do with that, but that that is one thing that you got to watch out for because you are hiring an agency, but you're really hiring the person that's working directly with you or the team that's right, working sure. directly with you. So I think it's sure. important to know who you're working with. Yep. Um, awesome. You've shared a tremendous amount of knowledge and experience. Um, I'm glad I was able to pull that out of your brain today. Um, let, let's jump into a quick, uh, lightning round, a couple quick questions with a couple quick answers and we'll wrap things up. How about that? Sounds good. All right. So first question, um, what book would you recommend to our listeners to read? It could be a business book or a fiction book, nonfiction. Oh gosh. I, <laughs> I've gotten asked this before. I, I don't read business books. I'm a, uh, a dad of two young kids. So if I do read, it is like fiction or something like so that. So, uh, I will, okay. I will say the best um fiction book i read recently i'm a big lord of the rings fan if you can see the hobbiton poster behind me um i read the cimmerillion for the first time uh, a couple of years ago or a year ago and it was fantastic it's hard to get through some of it but anyone who's like lord of the rings or like that type of like you know fantasy um i will say there's some amazing stories in there so go read that okay awesome uh what's your favorite marketing or productivity tool right now um, we got Jasper recently, Jasper AI, um, yeah. obviously like a lot of people are using chat GPT, of course, uh, and I've dabbled with that a little bit, but Jasper has been pretty awesome. I, that's been really helpful just for, for writing. Um, I would say too, like Figma has been a, a tool like Crystal and I use Figma to really map out our content strategies. And we even do some mock-ups and things sometimes like that. I really love Figma. I'm not a designer at all, but I've found that tool to be pretty, pretty powerful. Nice. Um, I know these are supposed to be quick questions without a conversation, but I'm curious, how are you, uh, how are you using Jasper? Like, what do you use that for, for copywriting? So I was, and my role has changed somewhat recently, so I, it's, it's going to evolve, but I was starting to do more landing page stuff. And so it was, I mean, you can, there's a lot of stuff. If anyone uses some type of like content AI tool, it's probably similar, but um, I mean, you can give it some ingredients and it'll spit out an outline for you. Um, it can just simply repurpose things. So you can literally repurpose um, like a page. You can say repurpose for a, a LinkedIn post or Twitter or things like that. So um, and you can change the tone, just all the things you can do with um, generative AI. So uh, I don't even know if I, I I'm, I'm not someone who's like really into the AI world. So I always get like sheepish when I talk about it because I feel like I'm going to say it wrong. But um, it is a cool tool, though. I would say uh, I'm thankful that our team was able to get that. 
Nice. Very cool. Um, who's your favorite marketer or business leader that you're learning from these days? Great question. I'm, I'm partial to my metadata guys because I've been, um, I've been using it for almost two years and I have uh, grown to have a relationship with um, Jason a little bit with Mark Huber, like really big fan of how they've grown, especially during like pretty turbulent times. Like I, I really look up to them for, for brand marketing. I'm not someone who's like a brand or product marketer, but they are really, really good at it, especially in a noisy space. Um, Another one too. I learned a lot from a lot of what I was talking about with paid social and how to measure and how to think about it. I learned a lot from Cognizum. Um, they really, um, Alice, their CMO, like really changed. They were very traditional, like lead gen on social and things like that. I know they, they're one, I, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you're familiar with them. Um, but I really look up to, to them as well. Um, I mean, there, there's a lot of other ones too. Kyle, more local. I live in Indiana. Kyle Lacey is a, a really great yeah. CMO. Um, Kyle's been on the show before. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't know him at all, but I would love to meet him sometime, but he's, I really like, and he's got great takes too, I think just on uh, marketing leadership and culture and things like that. So yeah. I'm, I'm trying to introduce you guys. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, awesome. Andrew, this has been incredible. Um, last question I got for you is where can listeners go to connect with you and learn more about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm simple. I'm just on LinkedIn. That's all that's the only place I'm active. So please connect with me, reach out to me. I love chatting about marketing. That's why I'm on a podcast, I guess, about marketing. So happy to chat. Okay. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you so much taking the time today to uh, speak with us and teach us so much about your approach to marketing at, at Cisco. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you, Aaron. It was a pleasure. And I've learned a lot from you. So it's, it's an honor to be on your show. The SaaS Marketing Superstars podcast is brought to you by Xamo Digital Marketing. If you're enjoying the show, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening.